Welcome to Reliance's Sunday Sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. What Jesus is going to pray, that he gets the glory, the church is going to be unified, it's going to come through the power of prayer. Amen? And so, I thought, what better way... One of the guys in the city that's leading prayer movements, that's leading prayer things, stirring people's hearts. Sam has been all over the place in Kansas stirring up prayer movements. And so he's here today to share about the prayer that God's put on his heart for the body of Christ. So, amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Sam. We thank you for the word that you've given him today. May you be glorified in it, Jesus. May you get all of the glory in it. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it's so good to be here. It's uh, been a while since I've been at Reliance. The Lord's, uh, our family has moved since I was here. We're in Plainview with some of our larger Disciple Nations family, and um, we are, I've given myself more directly to being kind of a missionary to the church or serving the body of Christ in areas of prayer and unity and mission in various ways. And so been in, I was in a Presbyterian church last week and Church of God the week before and Pentecostal and Mennonite. And uh, the body of Christ is really joining together. And, and I just want to bring you good news that this John 17 that you focus on so much, uh, Jesus will get the answer to his prayer. And so one of the, uh, just as an example, uh, we have a picture. This last week I spent some time um, with some of these guys in a room. We had dinner together. Some of you prayed for this meeting. This was a meeting of uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Mennonite, Orthodox in the front row. And then you got whatever I am. And then you got an American Baptist. Uh, Charismatic Episcopal is the bearded guy. In Bel Air, there's a charismatic Episcopal church. Uh, Don Davis with Toomey, who's amazing, all over the world doing stuff in Assembly God right there. And so we were just a small gathering of guys that got together to affirm the supremacy of Christ together. There's so much we do different that we have issues with each other. Uh, but what we don't, we agree as a, a spattering of Gentiles right, that the God of Israel is the true and one only God, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, a Jewish man, said that he was God, and he was born of a virgin, lived without sin, died on the cross, rose from the dead. That's the most radical piece of information on planet earth. All of these guys agree with that. I've sat with them, and I'm like, they're doing stuff in their services I wouldn't do, but I, clearly, they believe in the one I believe in, I see the gleam in their eye, and they love him. I, in fact, if we could do the picture back up again, the guy on the far right, um, the Orthodox dude wearing a robe right there. Have you ever been to a Greek Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox service? It's a wild thing. You stand almost the whole time, and they hum, and they sing the Bible and the gospel. It was wild. I went in on one morning, went to his service. Because I'm not Orthodox, I couldn't take communion, just a little rule they have. He says I'm a little O Orthodox guy, I'll take it. <clears throat> but I got done with his service and I went over to Bishop Gilkey, who leads a, a large area of the Church of God in Christ. It's the largest African American denomination um, in, 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 in our area. He's a prayer guy. We are deep brothers together. We spend time together. And I went to his service, and I was the only white guy in the service, and it was roaring. I mean, they were gospel roaring, music and sounds and excitement and dancing, so different than the Orthodox. But I swear it was the same Bible they were singing about in the same Jesus that I'm talking, they're talking about my Jesus. 
And so this is worth our time. And so thank you for praying. Miracles are happening. I just want to say, the, the Catholic bishop, again, some, this may make some of you queasy, but you need to pray for the Catholic church. Something's going on. They are praying like they've never prayed before. I've got evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters all across the city that are joining with Catholic brothers and sisters praying for the salvation of their neighbors. He said to all of us in his introduction, we're late to the game with the words discipleship and evangelism. He said that to us. He told me privately, our people won't do evangelization unless they have encounter with Jesus. I go, brother, you're using my... Anyway, we have a good time. He's looked at me and gone, I don't understand why you guys aren't all Catholic. And I looked at him, I don't understand why you're still Catholic. <laughs> it was awesome. We're growing. But something's going on. Jesus will have his way with his church. He's go we're going to be, we will sit in the new heaven, new earth forever together. So we might as well warm up to it now because, listen, the promise is, it's, it's a prayer for Trinitarian. Aaron said it, but as we are one, Father, that's the kind of oneness. I mean, that's stunning. And then uh, so that, so that the world would know, I think the great, that I've been sent, I think the greatest evangelism is going to break out when the family of God begins to love each other. Number one on the list of why people stay unbelievers is pain and evil and suffering. It's hurtful. It's hard on this planet. This is not normal. People dying and human trafficking and broken families, it's not normal, okay? It's going to change one day when we get the king back on the planet. But the second issue is that the family can't get along. I mean, people, the unbelievers look at you, you guys don't even love each other. You're, you're fighting all the time. Oh, we want to ruin that argument. I can't do anything about the evil and suffering one, but I can work on this one. And we can love each other and we can go forward. So please pray because we're leaning in on this in a, in a lot of different ways. So I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm coming after you this morning. I'm coming after your heart. And I, when I say I, I mean the Holy Spirit has missioned me and Aaron's given me room to come after something that two primary things that are coming after you to get you to quit. I'm here to talk about Holy Spirit activation to finish. It's one thing to start, it's another thing to finish. You need a miracle to start your faith. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so for God to break in and come after you in your lostness, that's a miracle. And you to say yes. But listen, there's a journey after that, and he wants us to finish the race, and it takes equally a miracle. So I'm here to talk to you about that this morning. I'm going to end up here. I want to I end up, and I need to set it up, but I'm going to end up in Zechariah 3 and 4. If you could turn your Bibles there or your phones, I'll get there eventually. But where I'm going to go is, here's a verse that some people know, Zechariah 3, 2. The Lord speaking to Joshua, one of the leaders of a restoration. The Lord said to Satan, who was attacking him, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who's chosen Jerusalem rebukes you, devil. Is not Joshua, the one you're accusing, a brand I plucked from the fire? I'm going to go after shame today. Shame and accusation that's coming on all of us to get us to quit. We're going to go after also the next chapter, the other leader, Zerubbabel. He says, then the Lord said to me, the word of the Lord is to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to go after source today. The devil 
wants you in shame so you'll quit and to shift your source and him not be your source so you'll quit this race and will quit this move. The the last historical move in your Bible, let me set this up a little bit and I'm gonna go for this. The last historical move in your Bible, the last big move, there's the flood, right? And there's the, the story of David and slaying Goliath. Those are all awesome stories. But the last one in your Bible is a great restoration movement of Jerusalem where the temple of Solomon in all its glory had been torn down and there had been judgment. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are where that's at. And basically, the temple that's restored, they rebuild the temple. That's the end of your Old Testament. That's the temple that five to 600 years later, Jesus will stand in and go with a whip. He'll drive out those that are selling, turn over tables, remember, and say the phrase they say here all the time, my house shall be You've been discipled, haven't you? One of Aaron's great gifts is the gift of repetitiveness. It's awesome. (laughs) I love it. It's awesome. We need to repeat these things. That's what he said. That temple that he stands in and says it, it's going to be torn down in 37 years. Rome's going to come in and he's going to ransack it, just rip it down. Titus, he's going to declare himself God. They're going to sacrifice a pig in the midst of Jewish where they're anti-pork. He's going to, it's going to be a crazy moment. Jesus was not talking about that building when he said, my house will be a house of prayer. He's talking about us. It wasn't a, a building. There, there's a lot of people waiting on a third temple to come. Solomon's temple's first. Second temple, Ezra, what Jesus was in, tore down. People are waiting for the third temple. Maybe there's going to be one. People differ in their eschatology, but I'll tell you this for sure. You and I are the third temple. In fact, Peter will say in his epistle in 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves are like living stones, and you're being built into a spiritual house. We are the house of God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the last restoration movement of your Old Testament, that material, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, they're all excellent books for you that you probably have not spent a lot of time in, but they are about the restoration. They apply to this because I'll tell you this. The Holy Spirit is leading the greatest restoration movement in human history right now. He's leading the greatest building project in human history. The Holy Spirit's driving this forward in the earth right now, and what it is is he's building us. The church is the great building program. God is redeeming sinners and enemies, wooing them, saving them, filling them, bringing them together, and he's populating the earth. This is a mass colonization project. He is, he's spreading us like a viral something, bringing heaven to earth through a people. You're part of that movement. Satan knows it. He's warring on us. He's raging on us. So, What happens in your Old Testament, just basically, there had been 400 years of kings from Saul and David to the end of the last king before they're in trouble. There's 400 years. During that time, there had been a bunch of wicked kings. One of them was Manasseh. You ever heard that name? He had a worship service to another god and sacrificed one of his children. Wicked. Wicked. They kept wicked, wicked. And during the time... The nation split into two nations. So you got trouble with the people. They keep loving other gods and splitting and division. Sounds a little to me like church history. And in the midst of this, God who loves them kept sending prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, saying, stop, 
Stop loving other gods. Listen, the greatest war on the planet is a worship war. The, mo- the planet, Earth, planet Earth is struggling with a love disorder. The war is over what you love. It really is. And so God kept sending prophets and saying, stop, 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 I love you, stop, stop. And they wouldn't stop. He said, if you don't stop, I'm going to bring in an enemy army, and they're going to they're gonna take you into captivity. And it happened. Nebuchadnezzar, during the time of Daniel, God brought Babylon. It's up in Iraq. If I had a map, I could show you up here. Iraq, Babylon, okay? Here comes Nebuchadnezzar down to Israel near the Mediterranean Sea, and he ransacks it, tears the temple down, I mean, ravages the town, and takes off captives back up to Babylon. The Lord had said through Jeremiah 25, this is gonna last 70 years. 70 years, but then I'm gonna finish it. I'm gonna turn it around. I'm gonna turn it around. I'm gonna do the discipline work. I'll take you to the capital of idolatry, Babylon. That's your book of Daniel. Read it. But he said, after it's done, I'm bringing you back because I'm never, ever gonna be done with you. Listen, you need to hear that. I'm never, ever gonna be done with you. I don't care what you did. I don't care what got done to you. I'm coming after you. God is a God who finishes what he starts. This is not about you and your resolve. It's about his resolve. He's coming after you. Where is the Lord, you might say? I say, just turn your head and look behind you. He's chasing you. He's coming after you. And so he does this. And Ezra 1, it's a powerful thing. The Lord stirs up a pagan king. Cyrus is ruling that. Moves his heart to say, I'm going to give you all the money you want, millions of dollars. Go back down and stirs 50,000 people to leave Babylon where their kids and grandkids are. And they make a four-month trip down, and they begin to restore Jerusalem. They start to build the temple, and they do it. That's their mission. Well, they get back in. It's exciting. You've got two leaders, Zerubbabel, who's running the construction, and Joshua, the high priest, he's running the priestly activities. They get down. They start building. They build the altar. The blood sacrifice is restored. It's the gospel. That's where God starts with us. He comes through the cross and the gospel with us. But that's not the finished deal. I want to get the gospel established. They do it. Yay. We're sacrificing lambs. We're talking to Yahweh in what is the promised land. Right now, we're doing it again. They lay the foundation. Then it's, then, then they're, they're really excited. Read, read Ezra 1. I mean, the young generation goes, restoration movement. I mean, they're celebrating, yelling, whoop, whooping. I don't know what that means. And then the old people are weeping because they remember the glory of the former house. So you've got two generations that are having two emotional responses. It's a major moment. And heaven is breaking in. But when heaven breaks in, you know what else comes? Hell breaks in. Once you get a movement from heaven toward Yahweh in your personal life, in your church life, I promise you trouble is coming. I know that's not a good message, but anybody telling you anything different is not reading their Bible and not being honest about life on planet Earth. When there's a push to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness comes and the war is on. Anybody experience this? I say, yes, Jesus. It goes really good for about a week or two. And then, oh, my gosh. Why are people being mean to me? Why did I fall again? What, am I talking to the right room right now? Ezra chapter 4, read it. It's the blueprint of the kickback of the enemy against a move of God. And there's five things that the enemy does, the enemies do. They, they come and they offer false help. Let us help you. They don't want to help. They, they, they read that and say, no. Then discouragement comes and fear 
and bad counsel and then accusations. That's where it ends up. These five-fold things. You can read it. It's another sermon I want to preach, but I won't. But it's the devil's blueprint to get all of us discouraged and for us to quit. Hit of false help. Here comes discouragement. Here comes fear and anxiety at a high level to choke out your relationship with the Lord and to get you to quit doing the thing you're doing that God's motivating you. And they do. They quit. The last verse in Ezra 4 is a tragic verse. Really, hit We've got it. We'll put it up here. In Ezra 4, it says, And then the work on the house of God stopped. It was, they, they quit. And then what happens is, is that you don't see this, but Ezra 5 is God raises up two guys, Haggai and Zechariah. He puts his spirit on them, and they start speaking. What you don't see is 16 years. Between Ezra 4 when they quit and when they started going back, because it says they're stirred up and they begin to build again, there's a 16-year gap. 16 years, the work of God quit. I mean, they had had revival in Babylon, came down, built it up. Yes, party time. Hell breaks out. Trouble comes, and they quit. They stop. 16 years older, 16 years of cooking in shame, cooking in lack of resources, feeling funky, wondering, why did I even start this in the first place? Is this relating to anyone? It's coming. You either had it happen, it's happening right now, and you're in this room, or it's going to happen. I'm not trying to be a bad news guy. I'm just telling you, this is the law of the kingdom. Whatever comes from God will be tried by the devil. You will either quit or you will let it refine you and take you deeper into the work of God. You stand before two trees always. You always stand between two options. Two trees, two sons. Two. What are you going to do? They stand before you today. But I got good news. This is not all on you. Praise God it's not all on you. Somebody's coming after you. They're coming after you. And that's what... The book of Zechariah. Listen, Haggai. Anybody read Haggai later? Lately? Oh, really? A couple weirdos back there. That's awesome. <laughs> Anybody got a refrigerator verse? Haggai? Yeah. So it's worth it. It's this tiny little book, two chapters, four visions. It's awesome. It really is. It'll, it'll activate your heart. Go read it. But Zechariah is where I'm going to go today. Zechariah is 14 chapters. This old man, Zechariah, um, the first part of it from Zechariah 1-7 to chapter 6, he talks about a a night he had where he had eight dreams in one night. Eight dreams. I get one profound dream, and I'm, you know, and these weren't pizza dreams. These are clearly from Yahweh, and they're weird. Some of them are weird. The first three, they involve horses and horns and scrolls, but they're all about the first three is God's like, I'm committed to Jerusalem. She keeps rejecting me, but I love her, and I'm coming after her. The last three I'm going to finish this deal. I'm even going to bring a global Messiah out of this whole thing. You're like, what? What's that? That's crazy information. In the middle, though, where we're going to camp for just a moment is a word to Zerubbabel and a word to, to, to Joshua the high priest. These are the words you need to hear. You need to know God's committed to get it done. He's going to fully get it done in Christ. But in the middle, you need a fresh word that breaks shame off of you and shifts you in your source. So Zechariah 3 and 4. I need a couple chairs. I need a chair here. That'd be great. Could I have that chair? Is that okay? Is this good? Thank you very much. Great. And then I need somebody that looks kind of broken and wore out. Aaron, could you sit right here? Um, 
Do you see how I did that? I set that up so, you know, it was, it was headed there. It was really great. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Buddy, can you come here and sit? I mean, you look a little ragged to yourself, so. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I want you to get this picture. I got to set this up so you biblically get what's going on here. 16 years have gone by. This is Zerubbabel. He's the guy running the construction stuff. Okay, 16 years older, has failed in the building project. He has to walk every day by and see an altar, great foundation, undone. It had rained, it had got weird, it had corroded. It's not good. And he's living in that failure. Joshua, the high priest, was supposed to run the priesthood where they would interact with God. He's got the same deal, man. He's living in shame, failure. He's got to look at that thing all the time, 16 years. And then the Holy Spirit says, yeah, they're failures, but I'm coming after them. Zechariah, you think you're going to bed tonight. I'm about to turn on eight movies <laughs> that when you get this message, I need you to tell the two leaders and 50,000 people, and it's going to ignite them back to action. And that's what happens. So the first one is in Zechariah 3. Hey, Joshua, could you please stand up? The Lord Send Zechariah, old man, he comes to Joshua. Joshua is more like this, head down, shoulders down. Ugh. Good, very good. Yeah, you're gonna, your page just went up, that's awesome. He's sitting here, and here's what Zechariah says. Last night I had a dream, and, and really the, the fourth dream was you. I saw you. I saw you like this, like you're standing there. I, saw, I could see the old man saying it to him. I saw you. I know you feel so bad. What was going on is Satan was right here at your right hand. It says that. I saw Satan accusing you day and night, accusing you. You stinking failure. What, what, don't you even love God? You, you did this. You did that. You're, you didn't lead. The 50,000 people are disillusioned. They left their grandkids up. What are you? Accusation. Anybody heard any of these things? Uh, reminding you of sins that have been paid for. Questioning you about motives. Seen it. Because here's the good news. Here's what I saw. I saw the Lord on your other side, and he rebuked Satan right in that moment. The authority of the Lord shut the mouth of the devil that's been in your ear. Well, that would have been good news. So here goes Joshua from here to here. Huh? And then he says, and I'm messing with you, that's good. <laughs> then the, the scene moves to, and then it says, the Lord says, hey, look at his dirty robes. Joshua's wearing dirty robes. He's not only getting funky information, he feels funky and probably screwed up. Way to go, dude. He screwed up in the 16 years. Probably got prideful, got a, a bitter, started gossiping, slandered, might have felt in some lust. Might have, who knows? But he's wearing dirty robes that represent his state. You know what the Lord says? I want those robes. I want you to change the robes. Rip them off. That would have been fun. That would have been, that would have been a moment. That would have been a moment. But you buck naked doesn't help this sermon. So, so gets the robes, throws them away, and gives him brand new white robes that were not his in the first place. Ah. I'm going to shut the accuser down. I'm going to shift your state. And you need to dwell in my grace. Then there he is. Joshua's, yeah, he's ready to go. Yeah, nice job. Yeah, could you just stand here and act excited? I've got another problem, though. Stand up, Zerubbabel. This guy's leading the construction deal. 16 years, he's older. Look, there's gray in his beard. He's not the young guy anymore. 
He's limping along. He's failed. He looks at the, you know, I just described it. And the Lord says, or Zechariah says to him, I saw you in the fifth dream. It was you. I saw you. And then by you, I saw this dripping two trees and this candelabrum. It was weird. Golden oil. It was so crazy. And I said, Lord, what is all that? It says in 4.6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, not by any of your effort, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I have an inexhaustive treasure of resource and power. It's in me. You've been deluded that you had to come up with the strategy and preach this thing into existence and keep it together. You do not, Zerubbabel slash Aaron. You need to source from me. Everybody got it? Shame off, source shifted, and suddenly these two guys were activated. Thank you. Please go sit down. Listen, I got to say a couple things to you, and I'm going to minister to you. Because this is spiritual warfare. What we're doing right now, I'm warring for your soul right now. I don't care if you think it's a good sermon. I'm 55, I'm past it. I'm done, I'm past it. I'm here for your souls. Shame will flip the script on how God designed you. Condemnation flips the script. It moves you from being, I'm buck naked and ain't ashamed at all, Adam and Eve, and I run to God to I sinned and now I run away from him. I want to be seen by God, I've got to hide from him. I've lived in the acceptance of God, now I'm living in his rejection. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Here's the fundamental deal. Shame will shift you to an obsessive focus first on your dedication to him. How you feel, how you look, you're gonna get obsessed with that in shame and you will fail every time. Listen, grace sets you in a focus of his dedication to you. You've got to hear this. You will not progress in the faith if you are focused first on your dedication to him. You've got to focus first on his dedication to you. And let me tell you about that dedication. The dedication is as Romans chapter 5. Even when we were sinners, he demonstrates his love to us by sending his son to die for enemies, to restore them back. How much more now that we're sons and daughters who struggle? He's coming after you. He's coming after you. None of you went and got him. He came and got you. He's coming after some of you this morning. It's him pursuing. It's not your pursuit. He loves you. You're going, when did he love me? He loved me when I was a stinking enemy, groveling in my selfishness and my pain. He's like, I want him. I want him. Why does God want him? You ask him when you get there. All I'm telling you is the Bible's full of he wants sinners to be restored to him. And it ain't just so we'd act right. It's because he loves us. It's like it, the Bible's full of I delight in them when they come. And he gets you, and then you get there, and then it turns out you're still you somewhat. You've been changed, but you still every now and then glance at what you used to gaze at. You begin to feel the despair, you feel the failure, and you are shame-wise twisted to think about, oh my gosh, I'm a fraud. I'm a fake. This is not real. And you get in that dialogue, and he twists you a thousand ways, the enemy. God is pleading for you to walk by grace and not by works. I'm not saying go out and sin and see how far you can go before God stops chasing you 
which I think is impossible, by the way. That's not true. If you get genuinely, listen, genuinely locked in on his dedication to you, we love because he first loved us. You need to accept your role as the bride. He's the bridegroom. I went after Amy. I remember when the redhead walked in SPU. I was at college. My wife, of the mother of my nine children. She was, she was friends of my girlfriend, and I, I felt led. My girlfriend was discipling her, and then I felt very led to disciple Amy, is what it was. It was a Holy Spirit thing. Leave the drama on the little Christian campus there. It worked out for the other gal, too, but um, I went after her. I went after her, and she started responding. He's coming after you. He's coming at you. You go, he's coming after me when I got the hypocrisy, when I failed, when I looked the other way? Yes. You said, you think he, the devil's convinced you he only likes you when you act good. What are you talking about? The gospel is about we don't act good, and he keeps coming. Humans base their love for you based on performance, not God. God's based on a destiny he sees in you and he loves you. I just try to get him to stop chasing you. You will not be successful. You'll be the most miserable people until he brings you into the joy of his love. You will quit. You will quit this race if you are rooted and snowed under in shame. You've got to unplug the microphone of the accusations that are happening and you've got to reset yourself in I will not walk this faith without the miracle of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle to be saved. It's a miracle to stay saved, to walk saved, and to get to the end saved. It's a miracle from Alpha to Omega. Where did anybody ever convince you you needed to go to work after he did the work? He's doing the work. Is everybody with me? This is good news. It's the best news on the planet, and it's being warred on in your life. I think the Lord wants to shift you this morning. He wants to shift you off your obsession with your dedication to him. What if I challenged you? This is the 11 o'clock service, right? We got nobody behind us. Aaron, you told me that. Right? We're, we're, I mean, there's nobody out there waiting. I'm glad you guys got to sleep in. I made fun of you in the last service. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. Listen, listen to me. I want to challenge. What if for one month you made a mental discipline? I am not going to lock in on my dedication evaluated to him. I'm going to lock in every day, every hour on his dedication to me. He loves me. I'm going to abide in his love. He's after me. His grace is for me. What if you did that? I'd like you to all do that. Then come back and tell me if you got better or worse with your interactions with sin and suffering. I think you'll get better. He is inspirational in his love. So I'm going to, Aaron, we're going to make an announcement, but I, I got a minister. I'm in this. Everybody with you are looking at me. Father, I'm going to, Father, in the name of Jesus, bless the beloved, the little piece of the beloved that's in this room right now. Your beloved in which to bless them here and beyond. Lord, by your mercy, 16 years, whatever it is, that's the metaphor, a failure, quitting. I've been up, then I go down, then I give up. Lord, I pray, activate us again with a fresh word. What's really going on in the spirit we're trying to think about it. It's more than thoughts. It's a devil whispering lies into your mind. Lord, shift us from leaning on might and power. 
radically throw us on your grace. Lead us in. I'm praying that they would not only, this family would not only hear a message this morning, I'm asking you would take your sledgehammer and break strongholds of lies that seem noble. I gotta clean myself up so he'll love me. Lord, break that lie off of us. We run to you dirty. You do the cleaning. I, I'm gonna just, look at me. Everybody's, everybody's, there's some kind of false timeout we think exists. God's put us in time. When I, when I feel a little better, when I'm being a little better, then I can run over there and be with him. We're running away from him dirty, and he's inviting you to do the opposite. I'm not saying he loves your sin. He slayed his son to take care of your sin. Don't underdo the sin thing, but don't be misguided that somehow you're going to take care of it. Run to your Savior dirty. No time out. Don't I need to sit over there an hour, a week, do my penalty box thing? No. The blood of Jesus is effective right now. It would change your life if you ran to him dirty and let him do the cleaning. So Lord, I pray. Sorry, I'm doing it almost. Lord, I pray for those in this room that heard a sound from heaven this morning, whether they're on a girls basketball team or they're in this room as reliance or I'm just asking that they could respond to your reach of love right now. I pray right through the failure and the shame and the rejection and the abuse, you're reaching in, reaching in to change their robes. Take the dirty robes off. Shut them out to the accuser. Woo them into your grace and love that's undaunted. May your kindness break our hearts and lead us to repentance. Thank you for the gospel. Jesus died on the innocent one. Let the, let the guilty ones kill him so he could save them. It's shocking love. I pray you shock us all with your love and the resurrection sealed it. Yeah, I just ask that the enemy not steal this word. Aaron, come up here, buddy. I don't really know what to do right now. Um, we got an announcement to make about a prayer deal. It feels a little... Uh, uh, hang on. Let me get it out of the way so I can say I did it. At wichitaprayer.com, you can join the prayer furnace. We're calling for our 10,000 people in the city. I'm going to Presbyterian prison, asking them to pray one hour a week. I've never heard anyone who prayed one hour a week with the Bible complain about it after. There's the mechanism. We want to see that number explode to pass 10,000 hours on the top. And you will know, go ahead to the, to the mechanism if you could with the two hours, that other slide. You can hit on those slots. You'll sign up. You'll get a reminder for your hour every week or five hours or nine or 50 that you want to do. And you'll know how many people you're praying with at that moment. I got some videos in there training you how to pray the Bible. Don Davis, African-American, he's an apostolic guy, roaring about the Moravians who did this for 100 years. Aaron, tell us what your hopes are and dreams. So we've been, we've been talking about this for a while. You'll find those uh, cards back there with Wichita Prayer Furnace. And Sam came here a while back and, and kind of launched it. And I'm praying for 500 of us from Reliance alone. 500 of us that said we're going to take an hour of prayer each week, just one hour, and we're going to pray this in. And I'm believing 
that we can be the generation that finishes the work. I'm believing that we can be the generation who fulfills the John 17 prayer that Jesus prayed. <clears throat> Father, make them one as we are one. But I'm believing it because it's going to come through the power of prayer. Amen? Yeah. It's going to be because of the Holy Spirit. And yes. so I'm praying, I'm asking you, can we get 500 of us to sign up to pray one hour a week? That's it, one hour. Fill out a time slot, one hour a week. Eventually, we're looking for those 100,000 across Kansas. But let's just start with that. And so I told Sam, I, I believe that, that God's going to move in our hearts. We talk prayer. We pray corporately. When we leave this building, can we have a culture of prayer in our life? And this is one of the ways that we can do that. You will be a prayer if you like the one you pray to. Sunday mornings show how popular the church is. Sunday night services show how popular the preacher is. Wednesday night prayer meetings show how popular God is. This is why prayer meetings have been the least attended meetings. It's because God's not very popular in his church. But he wants to make himself popular to you. He's the most entertaining being in all the universe. Never again heard anybody go, I was filled with the Spirit and that stunk. I met with God and he really touched me and I never want to do that again. He makes addicts, addicts of his presence. Prayer is not this obligation you have to do. It's this invitation you get to do. You get to be with Yahweh and talk to him and hear from him. So here we go. We're going to end the service this way. And he's going to continue to play if you want to linger because there's no service after you. But if you have started for God in salvation or restart in your life and then been hit with false help, discouragement, fear, with bad counsel and accusations from the devil, if that's ever happened or is happening to you right now, would you begin to stand up? I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. Stand up if you've been hit by the kickback of hell in a heavenly deal in you. <clears throat> I don't need any obligation. I'm not trying. I'm not counting, keeping score. I just, you live on the planet. I hardly know anybody that's not had warfare. It's coming. It's been here. It's going to continue. But praise God. He has overcome. I want to say this too. I, I, Aaron, I felt this the whole time. I did it both services. I hope you're okay. There's some outhouse warfare that happens to us, worldly spirit hitting us. There's some in-house religious spirit stuff that hits us, like this. I got to be passionate about prayer and talk as loud as Aaron Wallace. Don't do that. We have enough Aaron Wallaces. You don't need to compare yourself to another person in the body of Christ. We need you. We need you. Your heart's quiet, be quiet and love God. Your heart's radical, dance, shout, yay. Stop comparing yourselves and letting the devil leverage somebody's uniqueness as your shame. Does that make sense to anybody? It's brutal. It's brutal in the body of Christ. We can get over it. We really can. So I'm going to pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for these, my the beloved that's under warfare, wearing some maybe bad clothes, listening to some bad information. Change our ear, change our clothes. Do a miracle. Unleash a miracle. Yahweh who pursues sinners, may they receive the pursuit of the sons and daughters. I pray you break in and break them free. Break in. Let them receive what you've already been giving to them. 
And Lord, I pray you would give us a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know your radical dedication to us. Lord, set us ablaze with the love of God. I'm gonna pray this, guys. It's a Bible verse, Ephesians 3, 17. Lord, I pray we'd have power, dunamis power, all together like Paul prayed, that we could know how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God. That we would start to plug in and understand this love that's beyond knowing is what it says, so that we might be filled to the fullness of God. Baptize us in the love of God. Holy Spirit, a revelation of your love that ruins our lives as we know them and sets us free to live a new life. Thank you, Lord, that you love broken people and that you're setting us free. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.